Hi, this is Ron Masag, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to episode 105 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is the show that brings you information on movies, remakes, sequels, and DVD releases. And this week, we take a look at what's coming your way for the month of April 2010. And our guest on our interview segment is a great guy. You want to listen to this one. He played the sheriff of Cabot Cove for eight years on Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury. Our guest is Ron Masak. He's really a nice guy, and he has some great stories to share with us. And he has a new book out called I've Met All My Heroes from A to Z, and he's going to go down a couple of those for us. And we have a link on our webpage where it'll take you right to his site, and you can download his book. And it's a very interesting book, so you want to check that out. Also, you can become a friend of On Screen and Beyond by going to MySpace, or if you want, you can go to Facebook and become a fan. And we have a link right on our front page of OnScreenAndBeyond.com where you can click on that and go to either one of those. And, and we have a guest coming up that we're going to be taking questions for. We've done it in the past. We're going to do it again. If you have a question for Tommy James of Tommy James and the Shondells, they, of course, had such classic hits as Money Money, everybody knows that one, Crimson and Clover, Dragging the Line, and so many more. Tommy's going to be here. He's going to be a guest with us. And that's all coming up in the very near future. So get your questions to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we might use your question to ask Tommy because he's got some interesting stuff. And I'll tell you, the, the, the classic hits that he gave us are great. So you want to listen to that show coming up in the very near future. Hey, it's time to check out what's coming your way as far as releases for movies, sequels, all kinds of stuff, DVDs in April. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Okay, well, as far as April releases, it looks like on April 9th you can catch... Date Night with Steve Carell and Tina Fey. That's going to be coming your way. And on April 16th, Death at a Funeral with Luke Wilson, Chris Rock, Tracy Morgan, and Martin Lawrence, as well as a whole bunch of other people. And Kick-Ass comes to theaters with Nicolas Cage and Aaron Johnson and The Joneses with Demi Moore and David Duchovny. It's rated R. And those are through uh, April 16th. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as April 23rd and beyond. All right, as far as April 23rd, you can look for The Backup Plan with Jennifer Lopez. And on April 30th, Brandon Fraser and Brooke Shields star in Furry Vengeance. And it's a live-action family comedy. And... A Nightmare on Elm Street, a remake of the old Freddy Krueger movies from the 80s, is going to be coming your way on April 30th. Uh, let's see. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD releases in April, right here on On Screen and Beyond. TV on DVD coming out in April. Well, it looks like uh, April 6th, you can see Ally McBeal, the complete second season. Battlestar Galactica, now that's the, the, the newer version of it. Uh, season 2 is coming out on Blu-ray, 
and Blood Ties, the complete series, along with Simon and Simon Season 4. Then on April 13th, look for Alias Smith and Jones Season 2 and 3. And Dallas Season 13 comes your way on April 13th, along with Emergency Season 6. April 20th, look for The Bill Cosby Show Season 2, Falcon Crest Season 1, and Hercules The Legendary Journeys Season 1, and Xena Warrior Princess Season 1. And on April 27th, you can get I Love Lucy, The Movie, and Other Great Rarities. And... It's Gary Shandling's show, the first season. That's about it for TV on DVD coming out in April. Next on On Screen and Beyond, movies coming out on DVD in April, right here on On Screen and Beyond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, as far as movie releases on DVD in April, it's 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 kind of thin, really. Um, it looks like, as far as new DVD releases, anyways. On April 16th, you can look for The Bad Lieutenant, Point of Call New Orleans with Nicolas Cage. And on April 13th, you can get Pirate Radio with Philip Hoffman. And April 20th, The Lovely Bones and The Young Victoria both arrive on DVD. And it's complicated on April 27th. Oh, and yes, April 22nd, Avatar comes out. So a lot of things, uh, you know, kind of quiet in April, but uh, some biggies there. Avatar, and, uh, you know, it seems like it's, it's still in theaters places. But anyways, that's what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we have our interview with none other than the Sheriff of Cabot Cove, Maine, Ron Masak. He's a great guy. He's got some great stories to share with us. It's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today's guest on On Screen and Beyond was the sheriff of Cabot Cove in TV's Murder, She Wrote for Eight Years, has appeared in hundreds of TV shows, and was the voice of the Vlasic Pickle Stork for 15 years. He has a new book out called I've Met All My Heroes from A to Z. It's Ron Masak. Ron, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be on the show. And, you know, I was going over the book, and it's it's like, where do we start? <laughs> Well, that was the interesting thing. That's exactly why the forward reads that the way it does. That I, I was a street kid from Chicago, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I started looking back over my life, I said, "My goodness gracious, I met a lot of people." Oh yeah. And, and these are people, you know. It shows you how small the world is. I think. Oh yeah. Now, is that why you decided to do this book? Just thinking about that. Well, I've always been a storyteller, and I've got six children and six grandchildren, and. Uh, I actually started writing it down so they'd have a little memory because I have pictures in, in you know, mm-hmm. that go with every story. Yeah. So if I'm talking about Neil Armstrong, there's pictures of Neil Armstrong. If I'm talking about Alan Shepard, there's Alan Shepard myself or Muhammad Ali or Vince Lombardi. 
Jeez. I mean, I've worked with all these people and uh, and had a joy with doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was you know uh, in the correspondence we had, you know, you said you might want to pick a few names, and I'm looking through the list. It's like every one of these names. <laughs> It was tough trying, you know, trying to to narrow it down to a few because it's just amazing that, you know. It is. Most people usually ask me about the Lombardi stories. Really? Yeah, Vince Lombardi. You know, who was considered the greatest NFL coach. I mean, the Super Bowl trophy is named after Vince Lombardi. Yeah. And I got to spend a a great deal of time with him and and do a film that is the most seen non theatrical film in history. Yeah, I was I was interested in that when I saw saw that. Now, what specifically? What was it for? It was a second effort. It was actually it's the first motivational film that was ever made, without mentioning a product by name. Mm-hmm. You know, normally if uh, if an automobile dealer uh, was doing a motivational film, they would name the car. Well, we didn't. He just compared the sales to training a football team, and uh, and I would happen to be the salesman in there. And, and it worked out fine for me. Yeah. And it's amazing looking at all the different people. It's not just, you know, a lot of times you're an actor, so, you know, assume that you've met a lot of actors. But, I mean, there's politicians and, like you say, there's astronauts. And, and oh, yeah. Five, I played golf with three of the six men who walked on the moon, played tennis with another, skied with another. Uh, I've led a very blessed life in that aspect of it. Muhammad Ali, you know, you talk about from... When one of the A's in my A to Z is Muhammad Ali, and my mm-hmm. Z is Tony Zale, who was a middleweight champion. So yeah. I, I cover the spectrum in that. Yeah. And I, did. I worked with a lot of wonderful, wonderful actors. You know, matter of fact, I, I just got an email from Angela, who's in New York on Broadway at the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. And uh, so, so I have. I've been blessed. Yeah. Now, Throw a name at me, and I'll tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> well, for one question I had though is, I mean, here you are. You, you mentioned golfing with with astronauts. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time you were doing that, did you did you ask them questions about what the moon was like and things like that? Oh I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I, well, I, as, as I say in the one story, I kind of teased them about our, our weather being bad because they brought a rock back. <laughs> <laughs> it's their fault. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we'll just pick a name. Let's, let's start off. We'll start off with Neil Armstrong. Okay, Neil Armstrong was used to. Uh, well, I'm, I don't know if I can say this on the air. Uh, he was used to everybody saying word for word the same thing when he was introduced to them, and people would walk up to him and be introduced, and, he, and they would say, "I can tell you exactly what I was doing when you stepped on the moon." Mm-hmm. Like he really cared what you were doing. Right. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> well, I've always been a clown. I was the class clown in school. So instead of that, I. I said, and I'll clean it up a little bit, I said, when we were introduced, he was waiting for me to say the same thing. But instead, I said, ever since you brought that rock back from the moon, our weather's been crap. <laughs> well, he laughed. And to this day, when we see each other at a social function, he will approach me and say, Ron, tell him what you said when I met you. And I said, see, you never forgot what you were doing. Jeez. <laughs> huh. so- and, he's a, and he's a very humble, shy, wonderful man. People forget that before he did the moon landing, he did another space, you know, strip out there, and he was in the uh, the ship that was tumbling, and he very calmly straightened that out and flew it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when it was spinning head over heel, head over heel. Yeah. yeah. So he, he was a wonderful pilot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing, you know. Uh, and, and now, um, let's just pick another name here, Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball was one of the most gracious superstars in the history of the world, and I think that's because when she came up in the business, you know, she wasn't... She was one of the original Goldwyn girls. I mean, she didn't start out being a movie star. Mm-hmm. 
So she had smaller roles and smaller roles and built up. And she was just very gracious. When she achieved her stardom, she knew everything there was to know about her business. She knew how to how to do it. And Desi was a genius with the, you know, Desi was the first guy to come up with a three-camera idea and to shoot a sitcom on film where it would last. Mm. And here we are 50, 60 years later still watching I Love Lucy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because of the brilliance. Yeah. And, uh, and she was just so gracious, you know. I, I took a, a couple of uh, people on, on the set one day, and she didn't know who Jerry Kramer was, an NFL Hall of Fame right mm. guard from the Green Bay Packers. Right. And they asked all those wonderful, silly questions that you always wanted to know about Lucy, but no one ever asked. Yeah. How did you get started? You know, are you a real redhead? I mean, all those things. <laughs> and she was very gracious for over an hour with her. Wow, yeah. Now, I noticed in the book, uh, one of the things, you know, you start off saying that you were a street kid from Chicago. Uh, how was it, you know, that... How did you feel when you started meeting these people? I mean, being, you know, like you say, being a street kid from Chicago. Well, I mean, it was, yeah, I was uh, kind of in awe. I mean, I guess you'd say in awe. All of a sudden, I'm seeing people that I thought were bigger than life on the screen. And when I came to California, I did a lot of theater in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I did nightclubs, and I toured the world doing entertaining. So I wasn't that shy about being around celebrities. But all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in the company of John Wayne. I'm in the company of Cary Grant. Wow. And I guess inwardly I was nervous, but outwardly I was trying to pretend I was Neen Martin or something, you know, <laughs> and trying to be very relaxed. But uh, they were always very gracious to me. The bigger the star I met, the nicer they were. Really? It was the ones that weren't quite sure if they were big enough. Right, yeah. That, that were a little nervous. Yeah. Now, were there any of them that, you know, like you say, you, you met a lot of them and everything, and you tried to stay stay cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but was there any that you met that, I mean, you were just so shocked that you were meeting this person that, you know, you didn't you couldn't even talk to him or anything? Not, not really. I mean, I guess the first time I went in the, in the room with the president of the United States, president of the United States, because it's the aura of the office. It right. wasn't the man I was nervous about. Yeah. It was the aura of the office. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, wow, I'm here, you know. Yeah. But no, I, I, being tongue-tied, I, I guess i pretty close with Cary Grant, I would think. <laughs> Cary Grant, yeah. Well, I mean, that's Cary Grant. That's Frank Sinatra, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, those, the, 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 those kind of legends, the kind of legends that were legends when I was very tiny. And when I became an adult, they were still as big in... in their field as, as they were when I was little. Yeah. Hmm. You know, that, that shine never faded away from them. Yeah. Well, you know, people should definitely get this book because it is, it's, it's fascinating, the stories you tell. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to throw out a couple of more names here sure. so people can, you know, listen to the names. I mean, Clark yeah. Gable. <laughs> I mean, Clark Gable was, uh, yeah, he was one of those ones that you, you would say a little tongue-tied. He was bigger than life. I oh, mean, yeah. I, as I said in the book, uh, Bert Lancaster was very kind, and uh, they were doing Run Silent, Run Deep. And we were walking. I had just come to California for the first time, and Lancaster was, you know, an awesome-looking man, athletic, mm-hmm. handsome. And you look and say, oh, my God, that's what a movie star looks like. And we were walking by, and, and Gable's... Uh, dressing room door was open. He said, Ron, would you like to meet the king? And I said, of course. And as he turned around, it was Clark Gable. <laughs> and, and all I could see was those things you used to see in coming attractions in the movies. You know, Gable's back and Garson's got him. Right. <laughs> and, you know, next time you're screening adventure. He was just adventurous. And he was very kind, you know. Hmm. Now, what about Bob Hope? 
Bob Hope, I, I had the pleasure of playing a couple of holes of golf with and uh, emceeing a couple of events for him later in, in his years. You know, he was uh, the king of the USO and then and veterans. So there was a, a golf tournament with uh, for the veterans out here that I emceed for him, and he came over and, and spent some time. But the golf story I think I put in the book is the one with Payne Stewart, is it? I mm-hmm. think so. Yeah. yeah. We were playing uh, a couple of holes of golf in Florida, <clears throat> And Payne Stewart and Bob were driving around in a cart because Bob Hope was going to be doing a special from there. And uh, when they got to my group, I was playing with a couple of the sponsors from his show. And uh, so he decided to join us. And instead of staying for one hole, he just stayed with us for the last three holes. And as we came up on the last hole, I mean, there was a crowd around us. And we all pitched up on the green. And one of the sponsors was standing over the putt. And I looked at him and I said, you realize if you make this putt, you're liable to be on Mr. Hope's special. And if you miss it, you definitely will be on his show. <laughs> well, he, and this is not a joke. He froze. He, could right. not, he literally said, someone come and back me away. I cannot take the club at back. So Hope just looked up at everybody and said, well, that's a gimme. <laughs> you know, he's in. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> So, uh, so now the question is: When you played golf with these people, yeah. did you beat them? Uh, you you try to lay back a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. But I have I have been fortunate enough in the twenty years of the Frank Sinatra tournament to be on the right teams three times. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to say, if you can get me to the green, I'll put your eyes up. And that, I am a pretty good putter, and they'll say, "Well, where, where'd you learn how to do that?" I said, "This is easy." There's no windmill, there's no alligator, there's no moat, there's no clock. It's me in the hole, you know. I grew up putting on a carpet. Uh, <laughs> um, Clayton Moore, the Lone, Lone Ranger. Ranger. Yeah, it was, it was at the time of, uh, it was the period when they were going to make the Lone Ranger movie. And I guess the producers, uh, I have nothing kind to say about those producers at the time. Because they didn't do what the, the Superman people did. You know, the Superman people offered uh, the original Superman from the serials uh, a small role in mm-hmm. there or something. But they, they just kind of bypassed Clayton and told him he couldn't wear the mask anymore. I know, yeah. And he's been wearing the mask for 50 years, you know. And they decided to tell him he can't wear it anymore. And I was hosting the Jerry Lewis Telethon, and he was going to come on with me. And he got, uh, he got snowed in. I met him a few times before that. He got snowed in where he was, and at that time he had changed to, to the he wound up wearing the, the rest of his life after the big sunglasses. Yeah, that looked like a mask. But he called, and he was on the air with me on, on the uh, on the telethon, and I just let him know, and the public agreed with me that uh, no matter whoever plays the Lone Ranger, you know, it's like Johnny Weissmiller will always be my Tarzan. No matter right. Who plays the, the role? I said, you are the Lone Ranger. Oh, yeah. I mean, Clayton Moore actually changed his life. He stopped smoking. He was never seen swearing. He became the Lone Ranger, and he took that, that silver bullet as a badge of honor that this is the way he's supposed to treat people, mm-hmm. especially children, and he was one of those kind human beings. Yeah, and he was, you know, he, like you say, he was a hero to everybody. Um, and, he was a Lone Ranger. And, right, yeah, and to tell, to tell him he couldn't wear the mask, I thought that was ridiculous. Well, that was, you know, that was dumb. And they could have invited him to come to the set or any something, you know. Right. Yeah. They could have shown a little class. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the movie, as you know, went right in the toilet. Oh yeah, it bombed. <laughs> yes. So you know there are there are people watching. Good things happen. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Elvis. 
Elvis, uh, I toured the world. I was actually the first, well, like, I guess it, and the people have credited me with being the first Elvis impersonator. That's what I've heard, and I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I, I started doing him in the 50s, mm-hmm. the early 50s, and then I got to do him live on, I did the first impression of him on television on Spade Cooley show in 1956. And in the All Army show, I was doing impressions. Now, there were other guys out there who were better impressionists than I were. I was doing, I mean, but at that time, everybody was doing Cagney and Bogart and Edward G. Robinson. The, and the standards, yeah. So I decided I was going to do people that nobody was doing. So my act was called The View of Vegas. I was Sammy Davis Jr., Bobby Darren, Elvis Presley, Joey Lewis, Johnny Ray, and Shelley Berman. Mm-hmm. And I got, got to be a member of the All-Army Show and toured the world for like a year and a half doing that. Now I get out of the Army. Uh, fade out, fade in, did a lot of theater in Chicago. They take me out to California doing a movie called Ice Station Zebra. Yep. And next door to us, they were shooting Speedway with, with uh, Nancy Sinatra and Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. And I'm in full Arctic gear. And by this time, Patrick McGowan knows I'm the company clown and Rock Hudson knows I'm the <laughs> company clown. And, and I'm always doing impressions. Matter of fact, McGowan used to do his impression of my impression of John Wayne. <laughs> only with a British accent. And so they, they, they talked me into coming next door with them to meet Elvis in full Arctic gear. But they told me I had to do him to him, for him. Uh-huh. And I think I'm the only one that ever did him live for him. Oh, really? Yeah, so he's he standing there, we're having a conversation, and everything he was doing, I was aping. I, he'd fold his arms, he'd fold my arms. He'd go to his left leg, I'd go to my left leg. And I, I was kind of just, you know, anyway, he would mumble, I would mumble. What was his reaction? He finally looked at me after he said, he's away from us, a little place in Mississippi called Tupelo. And he looked at me and he said, he looked at Red West and he said, I'm being mad. <laughs> i tell you what, he was an incredibly good looking man. He was a very polite young man. You know, didn't, I didn't know him later in life, but uh, he, he, he was, I have the, the feeling he could have been a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think King Creole was his favorite. It was my favorite. And they surrounded him with people like Dean Jagger and Vic Morrow and Walter Matthau and Carolyn Jones in that film. So he got to he got to work with professionals. When they started putting him in the Million Dollar Beach movies, you know, he got a little disgusted. Yeah. But he had some raw, animalistic, wonderful talent. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, when you you mentioned about uh, Ice Station Zebra. Right. With uh, Rock Hudson and right. Patrick McGowan, uh, and, and it sounds like it was a fun set. The way you were talking about it. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, Rock Hudson was one of the one of the classy people. Uh, you know, regardless of what people think about the way he died and later in life and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I know is he was kind to everybody. Uh, my wife still has some fresh flowers on their wall that he sent to her. But he, you know, he, he was a jokester. He, he used to like to have fun. Uh, Lloyd Haynes, who was the star of Room 22, he was in the show with us. and We took over his, his trailer and used to play cards every day between the sets. You know, for four months in full Arctic gear, there's not a lot of places you can travel around. <laughs> yeah. So he found out Lloyd played the guitar. He said, well, where's your guitar? He said, well, it's in my car, but my car's off a lot. So Rock said, here, take my, take my convertible. He had a convertible parked next to his dressing room. And he said, and, and go get your guitar. So he said, okay. So he took the keys to the car, and I called the guard at the gate and said, someone just stole my car. <laughs> I mean, he had that kind of sense of humor. <laughs> but, uh, he, but, 
you know, we were, this was the middle of summer on white sand in full Arctic gear from thermal underwear to thermal socks to everything. Mm-hmm. And when people would rush up and after they said cut, and they'd rush up to him with ice towels and iced tea and everything else, he wouldn't take it until the rest of us in that chat had it too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, very classy guy. Fun huh. guy. I, I, he also... <laughs> He also never assumed that anybody would know who he was. Hmm. And the first time we met, he said, hi. He said, we haven't met. I said, I'm Rock Hudson. I said, no crap. <laughs> I said, I looked around the set. I, I, I said to myself, who would be Rock Hudson? It came down to you and that little guy over there with the bald head. <laughs> so from that point on, he liked me. <laughs> and he fell in love with my wife. My wife is the greatest cook and, and baker in the world, and he loved fudge and things like that and cookies. So he would, she'd bake for him. He'd call her up and say nice things to her, and I'd get mad because how am I supposed to go home and be romantic? Right. But my wife, after Rock Hudson, says things like that. I was going to ask you about that. You mentioned it in the book, and it's, yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Oh, yeah. That's, but those are true. He, he, he was that way. But huh. he never, ever assumed that he was a bigger star than anybody else. Really? Wow. wow. I mean, we'd, 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 he would ask every day. There were like seven of us. We'd call ourselves the Chicago Mobsters or something. <laughs> We would be going to the commissary for lunch. He would never assume. He said, do you mind if I join you? Hmm. And it was that kind of a, yeah. yeah. Nice man. Jeez. You know. yeah. Unfortunately, the way he went, but uh, I would, you know, you'll never hear anyone who ever worked with him say an unkind word about him. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, getting to your acting, did you always want to be an actor? Oh, no, yeah. It was either that or I was going to play shortstop for the Chicago White Sox. Right. I understand you, you at 16, you were offered a contract? Yeah, I was. Wow. And, uh, my mother, well, I was playing in a league for 18 and over, so they just assumed I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't. <laughs> but I could, I could flat out, I could hit. Huh. I was a pretty good, pretty good hitter. So, so you didn't decided not to take it. At, uh... Well, my mother, my mother said I'd like him to finish high school, and, and Mr. Sor- Mr. Hornsby, had, Hornsby said, uh, "Well, I thought he was." She said, "No, he's, he'll be ready." And then she just looked at me and she said, "You lean in two directions. You like to perform and you like to, to play ball. You can always play ball." Mm-hmm. And at the age of thirty, you're on the way out. At the age of thirty, you're still learning your craft the other way. Right. Yeah. And then I saw the Jolson story. I just, you know, the, the Jolson story made up my mind. I, I wanted to perform. I wanted to entertain. I wanted to make people laugh and clap and do things like that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I love that. You know, we're all happy you did. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> but I'm sure you know it would have been good watching you on the field too. <laughs> well, I got to I got to live that dream as well. I, I I worked out with the Los Angeles Dodgers for 20 years. Yeah. And became very close friends. Uh, Steve Garvey is like my kid's godfather and. Hmm. Steve Yeager used to live across the street from me, and Lasorda and I became very close friends. And he's in the book, as you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of lot of wonderful things have happened in my life, and it's not. I mean, my my life is not over. We're still going on. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am now uh, in a relationship, uh, business wise, with a writer, producer, director who wrote a film called uh, Mark Twain's Greatest Adventure. It's a matter of time, and because of that, uh, he he went into an area of building theme parks. And they're going to build a theme park based on a movie we haven't even filmed yet. Oh, really? Yeah, they're already starting their production on, on the theme park area in, in New Mexico, but there's some going to be built all over the world. It's, it's the, uh, the film is a science fiction, action adventure, time travel, comedy drama mystery with historical overtones and a little romance. Huh. And, and this is based with Mark Twain? 
It's going to be Mark Twain, Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, and Arthur Conan Doyle on a time travel adventure. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm a sci-fi fan, so I, that, that sounds real interesting to me. <laughs> it is. It, I've, I've told everybody that I've ever met, if you, that we've given the script to for investors, I said, if you figure out the ending, I'll work for nothing. <laughs> and no one ever figures out the ending. It's, it's just a wonderful script by Vern Noble Sr. He, he's a, a remarkable uh, writer, producer, director. Now, you will play the part of... I'll play Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Doing, doing the research for the movie... I actually wrote a one-man show that you can also <laughs> find online. It's called uh, At Home with Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a one-man show it's similar to the one that Hal Holbrook has been doing for 40 years. The only difference is uh, Mr. Holbrook never had the Internet. And when I started doing research for Twain, I found amazing speeches that he gave and things that he wrote that, uh, that Hal doesn't use in the show. I think I repeat one small portion of a story that Hal does in his show. Everything else are, is research. Hmm. And I don't say things that you think you're sure he said. I use a lot of things that nobody knows he said. My favorite, I think, of which is, uh, he said, I do believe a Heavenly Father invented man because he was disappointed in the monkey. <laughs> I mean, that tells you his thought process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. So yeah, that that's uh, now. It, is it still in the the early stages or? Well, we, we, we're but as soon as the the final investment comes through for for everything, yep. the theme park and for the film and everything else, we will go right in the pre pre production. Wow! And it should be this year. Uh, the theme park is incredible. It's called the uh, uh, Pangea. What is it? The, the Pangea is the the major name of it. The Adventures of Pangea, or well, they've changed it a couple of times. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, the original name, but it, it's, uh, it, I'll cut up for you as we speak. Wow, that sounds interesting to me. I've got here, right in my little doodad. Uh, Benji, uh, ask me something while I'm looking. Okay. Uh, well, getting back to your, uh, what you motivated you and went, uh, put, you, put you into the direction of uh, acting. Oh, well, I got, I, was, I started doing a, a theater mm-hmm. in college. Actually, I started in high school, but I, I was still playing football and uh, doing a lot of uh, uh, football, baseball, basketball. That's what we used to do there. It's actually it's, well, the Pangea Theme Park Resort, it's called. Oh, okay. But I thought there was a different name to it. Anyhow, it's a wonderful thing. Pangea is the big word you want to look for when you yeah. look for a theme park. Hmm. And it's got rides based on all of those writers. Uh, you know, the writer's works. I mean, people forget that Mark Twain actually was a science fiction writer as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are some of the greatest writers, all the different stories that they've given us. So Jules Verne and, wow. Oh, oh yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's, there's that uh, Voyage to the Center of the Earth is going to be one of the rides. Mm-hmm. Twain, you're going to be riding on a river raft and wind up in the Colorado River. Yeah. Uh, balloon rides. I mean, it, it's it's an incredible thing for me. Huh. And, and I'm excited by it because I was there for the for the birth of it, the process right, yeah. of it. So anyhow, getting back to your question, yes. which you can always so edit and play with it when you want to. Uh, once I got drafted, <laughs> I was still playing ball. I got drafted and served in the military. And I was the, of course, being from Chicago, they made me a military policeman. They didn't care that I was an entertainer. Mm-hmm. And I was the first MP and I think the only MP to ever be a member of the All-Army show. Now, when I got out of there, I, 
But the day I got out of the Army, two days later, I got married to my beautiful wife of 49 years at this point. Uh, we went back to Chicago, and I became the resident leading man in the theater back there for three and a half years and went from show to show to show there. And while I was there, uh, Harry Eckerman came up from California. He was the vice president of Screen Gems and, and gave me a contract to come out and test for a pilot. And while I, a pilot, which is a potential show, and while I was out here doing that, I met John Sturgis and wound up being an ice station zebra for four and a half months. And never went, I never went back. I never saw my house in Chicago again. Hmm. My wife sold it. Now, came out here with the kids, and we've been here since 1967. Huh. Now, uh, I know we're jumping around here, but uh, you talked about baseball. Uh, you worked out with the Dodgers and everything, but you grew up Chicago. Uh, oh, yeah. I so, was, a, was a big White Sox fan. So, so now, what are you? <laughs> Chicago well, or Dodgers? I, I, I still pull for the. I stopped pulling for the American League when they, they put the designated hitter in there. <laughs> you know, that bothered me because it wasn't pure baseball. Yeah. And I, I said, if I'm living out here and I'm having children, I want them. I don't want them to be cheering for a team that's you know, 3,000 miles away. Right. I want them to cheer for their team. And it became the, the Dodgers because I started playing in the Hollywood Stars. Baseball games. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, matter of fact, I was a catcher there for 33 years. Wow. 33 Jeez. consecutive years. Huh. Now, now, catching, was that the position you were, you were no. uh, playing when you were young? Nope. I only, I only uh, caught 33 games in my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was a shortstop. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So somebody just said, hey, Ron, well, get, get behind the... <laughs> I don't even know if that's in the... I put that in the book. Uh, the two producers of the show... Jack Gilardi, who was president of um, CAA, um, an agent, he used to handle neck and call and people like that. Well, he was in charge of the game, and there were major stars there. I was just happy to be invited to come and you know, participate. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I mean, that was Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau and Jerry Lewis. And, and I'm saying, uh, wow, I'm here with these guys, right? I'm at Dodger Stadium. And what he said was, uh, anybody here want to catch? Anyone here? When, you know, do we have a catcher here? I said, well, if no one else is crazy enough to, I will. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, okay. So on the way, uh, they said, are you wearing a cup? I said, a cup? I don't even have a saucer. <laughs> so Jaeger taught me how to get behind the plate without getting hurt. And, and uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I played shortstop until I turned 60, for God's sake, out here. Oh, really? Oh, Jeez. yeah. Yeah. Huh. So- So, uh, in your uh, career, um, uh, you know, I could go through basically every television show, classic television show that's been out there, uh, you have been a guest on. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, everything from Bewitched and uh, I Dream a Genie, and and you were even in The Monkees, right? Yes, I was calm to back. (laughs) I can remember that episode. (laughs) Yeah, we had lived pretty much a lot of that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were the, that was freelance. I mean, they, they were as popular. The, the monkeys were as popular as the Beatles were. Yeah. At that time. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, had as big a following, and, <laughs> and being kind of, and they loved the romp. I mean, they loved the fact that they were playing these characters. And poor Dracula, I'm, I'm there with all his makeup on, <laughs> dying. 
Uh, and uh, so, so that was a fun, fun set to be on. Oh yeah! Matter of fact, the only one that ever saw me without the makeup before for years was Davy Jones. Oh really? Because he was there when I was getting wardrobed. But I mean, for years after that, Mickey Dolan said, "What do you?" When I, I'd see him, he said, "Why do I know you? I know your voice. Why do I know you?" <laughs> and I finally went, "I want the drink, get a blast." And he knew. <laughs> he knew. You mentioned voice. You. He recognized your voice. Now, for years, for 15 years, in fact, you were the stork, right? From yes, the pickle <laughs> commercials. I certainly was. <laughs> so, uh, you, okay, you were the one doing the, um, the, the impression of uh, Groucho? Well, I was actually doing my impression of Pat Harrington's impression of Groucho Marx. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pat Harrington was the first stork. Oh, really? And when Pat got his show one day at a time, mm-hmm. he dropped out of doing that. So when they brought me in, they said, Frank, can you... You know, do this voice. I said, I'll come close to it. So I did. The first few years, I was doing my impression of Pat doing Groucho. And in the later years, they just wanted me to go ahead and use my voice with the Groucho reading, uh, which I did. So uh, the only thing that tastes better than a plastic pickle was another plastic pickle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in all the years of your impressions, was there a favorite person you liked in, in doing the impressions of? Well, I got to meet my whole act, which was incredible. Yeah, geez. I got to meet them. I got to meet and know Sammy Davis pretty well. I got to meet Elvis that time. Uh, Shelley Berman and I still see each other at, at different functions. I met Johnny Ray before he passed away. Uh, Joe E. Lewis in Chicago, you know, he was the, the nightclub entertainer that they did uh, The Joker is Wild with Frank Sinatra, yeah. based on his life. And he had one of those gravelly voices, you know, and he said, the doctor told me never drink anything stronger than pop. Well, that's okay, because my pop was an alcoholic. <laughs> So I got to meet them all, which, which to me just blew my mind. Bobby yeah. Darren before he passed away. It must have been a thrill. It was. It, it, and I let them know. I said, you guys got me a trip around the world. <laughs> <laughs> Shelley said, where's my, where's my commission? <laughs> <laughs> now, you also did commercials acting as Lou Costello. Yes. And, and you you looked so much like him when you were doing it. Thank you. Uh, and the nice thing was I got, I got to do it for his family. Chris Costello wrote a book called Lose On First, and uh, we got to know each other quite well because they wrote a play for me based on that. Mm-hmm. And then when I, was, when I got signed to do the, uh, the one for Brand News of Serial, I invited her down to the set, and she came down and watched all day. And I said, while she was there, I never broke character. I stayed in character. And we walked over to watch a video of what we had just shot, and one bead of sweat started down my, my, my face. Uh, under the derby and she just had like a little shock back of shock and I said what's the matter she said the last time I visited my father on the set that happened wow so yeah we have a little communication thing there with her jeez and we stay in touch to this day really yeah so you never had the opportunity to to meet him I I, should have put it in the book I didn't I didn't have the courage to go up and say hello but when I first came out to California I lived in a little motel around, this is before I went in the Army even, when I came right out from college, uh, they were shooting a wagon train. And, I, and Lou, Lou Costello did not drink. But obviously, in the, in the wagon train, he played a drinker. Mm-hmm. And he was over there, and he was sitting by himself, but he was reading his script. And I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to go up and say I'm a fan or I love you or anything like that. Yeah. You know? So I just, I just observed him and I watched him. 
and I and I'm sorry I didn't go up and say hello. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Jeez. Now, um, getting into uh, probably one of your more—I mean, you know—you did a lot of things people remember you by, but uh, of course, "Murder She Wrote" was yeah. something that you know you'll always be remembered for that. I hope uh, so. <laughs> and um, uh, how did you come about getting that part? Well, I actually had guest starred twice on the show before I uh, before by, before mm-hmm. I became the sheriff. Yeah. And one day I got a call. Well, let me back up a little bit. I did the two-hour Law on Harry McGraw, and I had worked for Peter Fisher before and once in Eagle. But on the Law on Harry McGraw, we we were on location in Massachusetts, and we were staying at a closed resort. And here's this whole film company getting up for breakfast, and in the kitchen there was just the, a mother and a 15-year-old girl who were trying to take care of everybody. So I told you I'm a little crazy, so I went in the kitchen and I started helping out and grabbed a couple of pots of coffee and a juice, and I'd go out and I'd do this. And I was loud and popping jokes. I wake up singing. I just wake. I don't give headache. I don't get headache, headaches or ulcers. I give them. <laughs> so I wake up and I'm singing and I go out, and I'm not realizing who the producers and the wives and everything else are. But I just had a good time. And when we got back after the law and Mary McGraw, one day I get a call from Peter Fisher, and he said, "Ron, it's Peter Fisher." I said, "Yes." He said, uh, "Tom Bosley is going to leave the show. He's going to go on to do his own series, and so I'm going to create a new sheriff." And uh, the job is yours if you want it, but I have to know within 24 hours because I'm going to Europe. Hmm. And I said, okay. He said, you'll let me know within 24 hours? I said, I just did. <laughs> he said, we haven't talked money. I said, I don't talk money. You call my agent, you deal with that. And uh, the next day I know I was assigned to be the new sheriff on Murder She Wrote. And I always tell people I never replaced Tom Bosley. I succeeded him. Yep. Yeah, there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were, you weren't the same character. You right. You were a different. Right, but matter of fact, the first show I, I did as a sheriff, I wore Tom's hat, mm-hmm. and I said it's tough enough filling, you know, Mister Cunningham's shoes without an Amos Tupper's hat, and I can't do that. So they gave me my own hat. <laughs> so w- was that a fun set to work on? It was. It was all class. Really. Uh, I've always introduced uh, Angela at different events as the Rolls Royce of our business. I, I never saw her angry, never saw her late, never saw her unprepared. As I said earlier, and this, she's on Broadway right now in her in the mid eighties. You know, I'm yeah. performing. Uh, she's an actor's actor, and she's the best of both worlds. When she was, and she's been a star for like sixty years. Oh yeah. Uh, but she, when she was under contract at MGM, she never had that top pecking order. It never said uh, her name first. It was Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, mm-hmm. Angela Lansbury, and you know. So she knew what it was like not to be number one. So on her show, she never treated anybody less than, than she was treated. Always treated all of our guests with respect. I mean, she'd walk up, introduce herself, and say, Hi, I'm Angela Lansbury. Uh, welcome to the show. We do our thing. You do your thing. Every, you know, do what you feel mm-hmm. is right. And it was very gracious of her. Yeah. yeah so I, it, it was the best. I couldn't wait to get up in the morning and go to work. Uh-huh. I've never had the opportunity to to speak with her, but uh, to interview her or anything. But she just seems to be such a classy lady. Well, she is. I mean, she and, and the best of both worlds. She's the best disciplined world. She uh, she wound up doing uh, uh, Broadway, winning four Tonys. Probably going to win her fifth. So she knew what it was like to be on time. Yeah. She knew what it was like to, to know all the words. And as I said, and you know, at, the, at MGM, she knew what it was like to treat people correctly. Yeah. And and you have uh, her. She is part of your book. I noticed that that she was in there. She's one of the the heroes that you've put in your book. Oh yeah, yeah. 
And uh, and I want to get back to Murder and She Wrote in a minute, but I, I do want, before I forget, I want to, one thing I want to tell you, I want to compliment you on the fact that uh, your wife is listed in there. And I think oh, that's yeah. that's really something. Um, and like you say, you've been married 49 years, you said? Yes, and she is one of my heroes. Yep, and that's... Uh, I mean, she truly is a hero. The story that's in that book is incredible, but there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a million more stories on her. Her, her mother, before she passed away, she used to say, why, do you, why don't you ever say no to her? I said, I saw my six, my six children come into this world. I saw her almost, you know, lose her life. I've, I've been there. Whatever she wants, as long as I'm alive, she can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. I mean, that's, uh, it's so nice to see that because, you know, let's face it, the Hollywood norm is not yeah. being married that long. And uh, I, that was uh, very, very honorable to, uh, to have that. I like to see that. While I'm thinking of it, it's the secret island of Pangea. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, now, getting back to Murder, She Wrote, yeah. um, I noticed that one on one episode, uh, or maybe it was more than one episode, uh, that you had a deputy on the show, and it was your daughter? Yes. And they wrote, they wrote for, well, she had been, she had worked, uh, you know, small things. She had done a number of the other shows without me, or you know, without being in the scene with me or anything mm-hmm. else like that. Yeah. And so they decided they were going to have a female, a female deputy that offered Kathy the role. And so she said yes. And they actually wrote a wonderful line for her where my other deputy said, make sure you don't make any mistakes because the sheriff can be a bear. You know, and she said, I know he reminds me of my father. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the... She wound up marrying, in real life, she wound up marrying a deputy sheriff. The script writers wrote that, they... Doing yes. it as a little joke for you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a lot of things that, like that that happen that go on where, you know, the, the, the writers will turn around and do something that might be an inside joke that only some of you will get? Or Oh, yeah. Yeah? And matter of fact, Angela, Angela used to have me read scripts I wasn't in because television is so fast. You know, you're really rushing mm-hmm. to, to try to get everything in. And we had a lot of writers. And sometimes the one writer who was working on Act 1 and he went on Act 2 and one on Act 3, well, a guy in Act 3, uh, where the penny's supposed to drop and the clue is there, the guy in Act 2 didn't know it was a penny drop. He took it out, so I'd go back and find it. Well, we used to have a lot of fun that way. Hmm. A yeah. lot of fun. And matter of fact, uh, God rest his soul, the guy who played the mayor, we used to tease him unmercifully. Because <laughs> he had this wonderful, glib, uh, charming way about him. All sets are like that, though. You have to keep them loose. I'm sure, yeah. yeah if you, you don't want to show up uptight. Yeah. This sort of steps away from everything, from your book and from your, your acting and everything. Um, of all TV shows, what would you consider your favorite TV shows? That I've watched over the, all the years? Yeah. Your favorites now or in the past? Well, I, I, right now I'm, watch, I'm watching I Like Lost. Yeah? I think it's so well written and well acted and well produced. Uh, I'm getting into fast flash forward a little bit. Oh yeah, I like that one. Uh, yeah, uh, I like well written comedies. I like you know I love Seinfeld and Cheers, and, uh, and things like that. Uh, what's the other one I really love? Oh, Kelsey Grammer shows. You know, mm-hmm. Frasier. Uh, I like good writing. It all starts with what's on the paper. Yeah. I mean, if you take away the the, the writing, there's we're just standing there. Yeah. So if it's well-written, but I go back to when I was a kid, I used to love the Danny Thomas show and oh, yeah. the things I grew up watching. Yeah. I love Lucy's. Uh, uh, the dramas were You Are There with Edward R. Murrow. Mm-hmm. 
uh, back in the early days. You weren't even born yet. <laughs> in a Playhouse 90, the thing, you know, things like that. Yeah. Father knows best as I got older. Yeah. The things that would teach him moral. The, you know, maybe the Andy Griffith show. Oh, yes, yeah. I used to love that. That's classic, yeah. You know, the, the, class, the things that last. Yeah. The things that, you know, Red Skelton, 20 years on the year. <laughs> and and you, you look, the Milton Berle show, Jackie Gleason. Those were the things that got me inspired. Yeah. And wanted me, I, you know, I tried to be funny. Matter of fact, the first thing I remember doing in grammar school, they had a talent show, and I saw Jan Murray on the toast. At that time, it was the toast of the town. It wasn't even the Ed Sullivan show yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a pretty good memory. So I did, in the show, I did all of the jokes he told. Huh. And I got laughs, and I liked it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Huh. Um, now, what about movies? Your favorite movies? Oh, gosh, a lot of them. On the Waterfront, uh, Citizen Kane. Yeah. Uh, the Godfather, the first two, Godfather 1, Godfather 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I fair to remember the Cary Grant version. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, I have a wide variety. Yeah. Uh, you know, my favorite actors were guys that, uh, besides the movie stars, movie star type, you know, the handsome leading man type. You know, I, I loved uh, the Charles Lawtons, Paul Muniz, mm -hmm. uh, the wonderful actors, the Tracys. Isn't it amazing? You never saw anybody do an impression of Spencer Tracy. Yeah, and that's... He was, and he was considered the best actor around. Yeah, that's true. Now, now, what, when, when you look to do impressions, what... You know, are you looking for certain things, ex exaggerations? Or? Yeah, all impressions start out with exaggerations. And you, you look for a hook. And a lot of times the impressionist will get it from another impressionist. You know, Larry Storch was a marvelous impressionist. Yeah. And he, he used to do Victor McLaughlin, people like that. He would do people that no one else was doing, too. But if you find a hook and you exaggerate it. And they talk about the fact that, you know, for example, Cagney never said, you dirty rat. In a movie. Right, yeah. It just sounded right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was Larry Storch who did it. It just sounded right. Cary Grant never said Judy, Judy, Judy. Mm hmm. I think he said doll, doll, doll. Oh, really? Yeah. But he never said Judy, Judy, Judy. Hmm. Never said that. Yep, that's, that's the classic thing that every single impersonator does. <laughs> right, you're looking for certain words. Yeah. It's like Roger used to say, you know, words with a K that are funny. Pickle is funny, banana's not. <laughs> so you look for a. Hook is an impressionist. Now, with my voice, with the raspiness in my voice, I would look for, in the later years, I would look for the George E. Scotts. You know, yep. Not them bash that ever lost a war by, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. Or Peter Falk. <laughs> work with Peter Falk. So he had a little rasp in his voice. Oh, yes, yeah. So I would try to do those guys. Huh. Or I would tell everybody that everybody I'm doing has a cold. They <laughs> <laughs> all have a little laryngitis. <laughs> Well, Ron, I want to I want to tell you that this has been fascinating and it's been fun. And well, I, I appreciate it. I looked at your website number. I, I was very impressed with what you do. Well, we try to get people who people are interested in, and you fit right in there. Well, I hope so. I'll put a link to uh, you know where they can buy the book and also to your website, so people can uh, can go there and check that out too. You are a fine human being. Well, Ron, I want to thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. It's been fun. And My pleasure, and, and I enjoyed talking to you very much. I'll leave you with this story, and it's a true one. Sure. President uh, Bush the first once asked me, because uh, the Reagans and the Bushes would watch Murder, She Wrote, uh, 60 Minutes and Murder, She Wrote together mm -hmm. all the time. Wow. He finally said to me, he said, where is Cabot Cove? And I said, Mr. President, it's somewhere between Kennebunkport 
in Universal Studios. <laughs> what did he say? He laughed. He laughed. Matter of fact, one show, one episode you can look for, we actually had the Postmaster General of the United States oh, as really? our mailman. And it was the, the, the skinny, according to Nick Culhane, at the very end, that is the real... <laughs> Real Postmaster General of the United States carrying the mail. Wow. <laughs> That's probably the first time you ever carried the mail. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Have a great one. Thank I you, Ron. It very much. Ron is such a nice guy. Had a good time talking with him. Uh, he had some great stories to share with us. And if you want to find out more about some of the things and the people he's met and the things he's done, check out his book. It's I've Met All My Heroes from A to Z. We have a link right on our webpage where you can click on it. You can go to his website. You can order the book. It's a great book. Check it out. And let's see here. Questions. If you have questions for Tommy James, he's going to be a future guest on On Screen to Be On. And uh, you can email him to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we might use your question to ask Tommy. So Tommy James and the Shondells, of course, in the 60s and 70s uh, had such hits as Hanky Panky. Remember that one? Uh, Money, Money. I mean, that one, you know, everybody knows. No matter what age you are, that is a song that everybody knows because it's at any party that's going to be played. And uh, Crimson and Clover, Crystal Blue Persuasion, Sweet Cherry Wine, Dragging the Line. Just It just goes on and on and on. He had so many hits, and he's got some great stories to tell us, too. So I hope you're going to join us for that one when that one comes up. It's coming up shortly in the future. But uh, if you have a question for him, send it to us now, quickly. Okay, it's uh, feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we'll see what we'll do about getting your question to Tommy. And let's see, if you want to leave a review for On Screen to Be On so you can share it with others and let them know what you think of the show, you can do that at uh, iTunes. It also helps uh, you know, boost us up the ratings with iTunes, so we'd appreciate that. And uh, that's about it for now. So we got a lot of things going on. I've been talking with a lot of great guests, and they're all going to be coming your way in the future. So stick around for that, and uh, we'll give you a chance to ask people, more people, more questions. And keep checking out our first page, front page of our onscreenandbeyond.com. Scroll down to the bottom. You'll see it right there where you can do that. And uh, every once in a while, we'll post somebody. Sometimes it's up for just a day. Sometimes it's up for a week or more. Uh, it depends on how soon we have the interview with the person. So make sure that you check our page often, onscreenandbeyond.com, and uh, we'll see about getting your questions on. Till next time, this is Ryan Zemrak. Take care. Uh-huh.